couple sessions, if you will, on repentance, and um, and then move into tonight. And so a few, it's kind of interesting to do a series when I only preach once a month. It's stretched out a little bit, right? Uh, so recap is necessary for you and, and myself. Um, so as we get started, I'm going to ask if you guys would join me in prayer, and then we'll just trust and expect God to show up like he usually does. Father, we come here and first of all acknowledge and recognize that we are here by your mercy and by your grace, that we are here, um, and I'm reminded tonight when when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, uh, his first words were, our Father, and it's interesting to me is personal and intimate as you are, uh, the first word is our, um, just reflecting community, that we come before you together, uh, and so thank you that we can challenge each other and encourage each other and spur each other on to good works. Uh, And so tonight I pray that that would happen. I pray that um, our understanding of who God is would become more full just in our interacting with one another. And so thank you that we each have such a role to play and recognize and acknowledge that the only ability that we have to express Jesus is is the reality that Jesus lives in us. And so we thank you that you have given us your spirit your word, and each other to grow closer to God and glorify you more fully and understand you more fully and therefore show you to a world who desperately needs you. So would you bless our time tonight? Protect us from the enemy, division, confusion. In the name of Christ, we come before you with boldness. Amen. Uh, a few a few times ago, the first talk on repentance, basically I, I took the time to share with you guys a time that uh, I blew it, which isn't rare, uh, but it was one that I had to walk through repentance. And I used uh, a Tuesday morning. Um, oftentimes on Tuesdays, I go into CLM to counsel later in the day and stay later. So Tuesday mornings are a little bit more free. And like true to course, when I have free time, I start to think it's my time. And so it's very, very easy. I set myself up for blocked expectations in that Uh, possession of what I think is mine. And so this particular Tuesday, uh, I went off the deep end. Things weren't going well. I was trying to fix a computer and a printer, so that'll do it to anybody, right? Um, And just had this rage within me. Uh, Some of you were um, surprised by that. Some of you weren't. But essentially, I, I spent the day after experiencing this rage trying to walk through the best that I knew how to repent from that. So it included apologizing to others, particularly my wife, Sherry, um, my kids. Uh, it included confessing to my God. And then most of the day, just trying to renew my mind on the truth. And so that was everything like acknowledging and recognizing the truth is my life is not my own, but it is God's. Uh, Acknowledging that I am a servant of God and uh, to be used by him however he wishes. Uh, Recognizing what we just sang, that if he brings something to me, uh, it is good. Uh, If he allows something to come to me, he can use it to the good. And so all these things were... um, the hard process of continuing to preach to myself the truth of this situation. And in that renewing of the mind and in that confession and in that repentance and in that apologizing, my rage level decreased, but it didn't go away. And so, again, most of the day, I still felt this tension in my, st- my chest. Um, didn't go away until that night I laid down to sleep. And again, the beautiful thing of God's grace and mercy ministering to me as I slept. And the next morning, I woke up and felt great. And to me, I think that's a miracle. 
Uh, last time we spoke on a little bit more, we defined what repentance was, gave less examples, and just talked about the difference between uh, the Holy Spirit's conviction in our life and the enemy's condemnation in our life, and how important it is to recognize true guilt and false guilt, because when, they, when, when, it's, when the line gets blurred, we either walk around with intense bad feelings of ourself and sorrow and shame and guilt, but it never truly leads us to repentance because really we just don't feel like we can afford it. So even though the, the negativity of shame is on us greatly and the guilt weighs on us, I don't think it ever truly brings us to a point of, of true repentance. And so we, we get all the negatives of sin, and if you could say the positives of sin, we miss. And not sin in of itself has no positives, but God uses sin in incredible ways um, to accomplish what he loves for our sanctification. Where sin is, grace abounds all the more. And so when we confuse what conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation of the enemy is, um, I think we totally miss out on some of the gifts and some of the mercies and some of the grace that God wants to bring us in spite of our sin or the sin of others. So tonight we're going to recap a little bit of of what repentance is, and then I really want to spend a lot of time, in my mind, uh, building on two ingredients, I would say, that I believe truly fuel repentance in our life. And, And those ingredients, I believe, are an understanding of the complete fullness of God's forgiveness of myself and my sin, as well as the, the tremendous cost of grace. So the fullness of forgiveness, but recognizing the cost that it took to bring that to me. We, we, grace, one of the definitions would be a free gift, but recognizing a free gift is free to me, but it, it costs the most treasured thing on earth, and that's the, the life of the Son of God. And so I think in those two components I want to build with you guys and meditate on and, and communicate with, because I think those two things will really usher in uh, a repentive heart, a heart that is not afraid to repent. In fact, I believe that repentance can bring us more joy and more confidence and think that our life should be a life of continual repentance. And without these understandings of of forgiveness and the cost, um, I don't think we'll ever get there. So to start with, there's a couple Old Testament words uh, in Hebrew that I shared with you uh, a few weeks ago. Nokum, which means sorrow, and Shabbat, which means retirement or withdrawal. And the New Testament Greek is metanoia, and that means change of mind. And so if you combine these, basically you get a sorrow that leads to a change of mind, retiring from one specific action, and withdrawing to a different course of action. And so when sin is in my life and I am aware of it, uh, a simple definition would be stopping that, turning from that, and going a different direction. So repentance, stopping, turning, going the other way. 1 John 1.9 is going to be our, our main uh, scripture tonight. So focus in as I read that to you. And just as a reminder, if, if you guys are here often, you're, you realize this. Um, but if not, I, I want to tell you, um, I, bring the, I bring the word up here. And those of us who teach up here preach from the word a lot. Hopefully, you know, it's our message is engulfed in it. But it's sometimes hard to see this tiny little Bible in this light. And so we're kind of getting in the habit of putting it on our, our tablets. It's easier to read. Um, but I know sometimes if you see a guy never open up his Bible, you kind of wonder what that's coming from. And 
Uh, I hope you just know the Word of God is the Word of God, whether it's bound in a book or on an electronic or on a poster, okay? And so read with me or follow along with me, 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One more time. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And then one taken from, uh, in my mind, kind of the all-star of repentance. That's David in the Bible. Psalms 32.5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, O God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So first first point, I think, is, is so vital to recognize that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and have acknowledged that God became a man named Jesus, and as he lived perfectly in union and in obedience to the Father, that his marching to the cross accomplished what he desired to accomplish, and as he died on the cross, he took on your sin and he took on my sin, and as he rose from the grave, uh, we rose with him. The recognition that most of you I know, and we know this story, but I think so often we, we know up here, but we forget in here that that is 100% every deed, but also every selfish thought, every selfish inclination, everything within us that doesn't fully glorify God as we ought to has been nailed to the cross. But if you don't hear anything else tonight, Hear this, that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are completely forgiven, totally removed from the consequence of your sin. This last week I read, it was staggering and it was short, but it went like this. The gospel is being saved from God by God. To be saved from God by God. And so complete forgiveness in my mind is the thing that is going to give us the courage, uh, the faith, the trust, and, and honestly the fuel to be able to admit our sin, to be able to confess not only to each other but to God. Because I believe that, well, honestly, if you're in this room and, and you have placed your faith in Jesus, then I know that forgiveness is yours wholly and completely. But oftentimes, if we don't fully recognize that, or if we don't remind ourselves of that, or if we don't call that to mind, um, we don't experience the blessing and the benefit that is fully ours, even though it is ours. Uh, An example, God gave me some cool examples that all had to do with money in the last uh, couple weeks. Um, I just bought a cafe racer motorcycle that I'm just jazzed about going to be able to ride a bike again for the first time in quite a few years. And so most of the time when you're talking to me, I'm probably not listening very much. I'm just thinking about my motorcycle. Um, But as a result, it cost me some money. And so a couple other people helped me with this that I had to pay back, one of them being my dad. He was up in Bozeman, and that's where the bike was. And so uh, he, he picked up the bike for me, and so I owed him some money. And so when he comes back, I transfer money to his account, and uh, so he was expecting $4,600 for this. And so he probably, you know, it's nice to have to get reimbursed for that. Uh, but, but imagine if I had just come into uh, an incredible amount of money. And he wasn't real sure, but some of these little 
things that are hanging out there. One of them just really hit. And so I come into tons of money. And so he's expecting me to pay him $4,600. And I say, hey, Dad, I put some money in your account. I just wanted you to know. And he said, okay. And he goes about his life, and he doesn't necessarily get around to looking at it or or thinking much of it. He just continues to do what he does, and um, he doesn't buy the dessert because he's saving six bucks just because that's how he normally does it and things like that, and he just lives normally. Um, and, and what it, he doesn't know is I just deposited $450,000 in his account where he has done tons for me over the course of my life, and so this was my opportunity to say, this will be kind of fun. And so even though that money would be in his account, would totally be his, he would not reap any benefit from that unless he saw it, acknowledged it, recognized it. Now, if he went and looked, it'd probably change the way that he he lived for a little while, right? And I think that's how oftentimes we as Christians live, that we are so rich with God, that we have been given total pardon from all of our sin, but yet we still walk around as if we need to pay something back. We don't recognize and realize the fullness of what we have in Christ Jesus. If we know we are loved and accepted in spite of our sin, isn't it far easier to admit it? Timothy Keller says, The more we know we are forgiven, the more we repent. The faster we grow and change, and the deeper our humility and our joy. 1 John 3.20 says, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And I think as Christians that, again, oftentimes we, we fly to one side or the other. We sit in this condemnation and we feel condemned and downcast and uh, we hide um, from ourselves and from others. And scripture says in those moments when our own hearts condemn us, we can take courage because God is greater than our hearts. And I believe that if this is, if this is familiar with you, if this, is, uh, if, this, if this is where you live with some shame and with some condemnation or if it's really hard for you to Uh, apologize or confess, Uh, I I believe that that is a a high indicator that we are still functioning um, under the law. I believe that's a high indicator that we don't fully understand the extent of God's grace upon our life. And so if the topic of repentance seems uh, like a terrible topic, if it seems um, laborsome and arduous and um, just you want to avoid it, I think there's a good chance that we are continuing to live like the, like the individual in Matthew 18. You remember the story where uh, the master has a servant, and the servant owes him billions of dollars. And so the master says, all right, um, it's, it's, it's collection time, and you can't pay, so I'm going to lock you and your family up. And this is what it says, Matthew 18, 26 and 27. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Canceled the debt and let him go. I believe that our debt as Christians has been totally canceled. But how many times do we continually try to punish ourselves for our sin? thinking that if I, if I just punish myself enough, whether that's kind of the self-hatred or, or whatever it looks like in your life, if I do this enough, if I, if I feel enough for this, or if I, if I don't accept the joys of God quite yet because what I just got done doing, um, then over time, perhaps, and I can slowly get back into right standing with God. I want you to realize what 
what self-punishment is um, in that sense, I, I totally believe it's a complete misunderstanding of the fact that God is just. So remember, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would almost anticipate that to say that God is faithful and loving or that God is faithful and merciful or that God is faithful and kind. But it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And what I believe that is speaking to us is justice has to do, just, the root word for justice has to do with a legal standing, right? Where there is a standard in place. And when that standard is broke, justice needs serves. There's a, a consequence. There's a penalty. So if the speed limit's 25 and that's the standard and we go 55, we are going to receive a penalty. And if justice is played out perfectly, there's going to be a fine to pay, Correct my officer buddy. <laughs> so, so he's going to enact and enforce justice on me. Well, God's standard is what? His standard is perfection. His standard is 100% complete holiness. And the fine for breaking that or not meeting that is death. Recognizing that when I have not lived totally perfectly holy and giving him his proper place as creator God in my life that the debt I owe is my life the debt that I owe justice would be death and so recognize when it says that God is faithful and just that the father collected debt upon the son Jesus Christ on my behalf This is why Christ went to the cross, and this is why Christ died, because that was the fine, if you will. And recognizing that when we try to pay that back, when we try to punish ourselves to slowly get back into God's good graces, it's as if we expect God to collect twice on the same debt. It's as if we expect a perfect, holy God to say, I know I've been paid for this once, but I want paid for it again. And so any time that I take this posture in my heart, that I don't fully receive the, the 100% complete extent of the forgiveness of God, in one sense it's declaring God is unjust. Same situation, uh, buying this uh, cafe racer motorcycle. I had a buddy, Pat Haggerty, who lives in Bozeman, so I had him do some legwork for me. And to make sure the guy wouldn't sell it out from under me, I was really serious about this. Um, I offered him $500 deposit to hold on to until dad could get up there. And so basically communicated with the seller, hey, I'll get you this $500. Is this agreeable? Yes, yes, yes. And so then I call my buddy Pat and I say, hey, you got $500. I need you to deliver it to this guy. And he's a good friend. And he says, no problem. And so he goes and he gives $500 to the seller. And that's holding this for me. So I owed... $500 that Pat paid on my behalf. Now, wouldn't it be silly if I spent the next few months trying to give him more money from that? If I said, well, let me give you 50 bucks here. Let me give you 50 bucks there. Let me continue to pay you this deposit. If that seller took that, what would you think of him? No integrity. We'd call him a criminal, right? He's already been paid on the debt. 
So for him to continue collect on the same debt would be criminal. Do we dare approach God as criminal when we try to pay him back? When we try to sit in our own guilt and our own shame? You see that? Where God will not collect the same debt twice. And the debt, my debt has been paid by the Son of God. At the same time, I think at times, I fail to recognize that I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. I fail to recognize that what the debt was, was God himself pouring out his blood and his life for me. And I I think if we take that cost lightly, we will take our sin lightly. And I don't think we will ever come to true repentance. What you might see is you might see me or others apologize or even confess sin, but most of the time, if I don't understand the, the cost of my forgiveness, a lot of times that confession basically doesn't come because I'm truly sorry for the sin itself, but it comes because I just don't like the consequences, right? So I'm sorry for the consequences that my sin carries over to me. And so I say, I apologize. You're right, I was wrong. So perhaps I speak harshly to my wife in the morning, and so the rest of the day she's kind of distant, and I don't like that. I'm ready to have have fun and be with her and and have a good day, but now she's kind of downcast, and I realize... It came from my harsh speaking. So I, I recognize, I, I, I'm sorry, um, I admit my wrong, but most of it comes from the fact that I just don't like having to deal with a, an upset wife. Is that true repentance? No. So I think we need to recognize that true repentance comes when I acknowledge and recognize that, of course, my sin affected my wife, or of course, my sin affects the body. But my sin was against my God. And because of my sin, my God marched to the cross. In true repentance, you are sorry for the sin itself. Again, Timothy Keller says, You long to serve. Well, this is kind of interesting because this is Timothy Keller quoting an author named McNeil, quoting John Calvin. So, follow the line. It says, you long to serve and love God, and when such a soul exists, it restrains itself from sinning, not out of dread of punishment alone, but because it loves and reveres God as Father. Even if there were no hell, it would still shudder at offending him. When God has reached in and changed your heart, you long to please him. And it's not to, again, merit more favor. It's not to acquire more of his delight. It's because it's just fitting, right? It's now natural. To me, that is the miracle of miracles, that, that God t- took an arrogant, self-glorifying heart, and he placed in it a desire to bow before him. That's amazing. And so if, if, if that doesn't, if, if, if that's not familiar with you, 
then I, I ask you to continue to cultivate and to look to the cross and look to the cost that your soul was bought. Because when you do that, I believe that there is a natural outspringing of thankfulness and humility. And yes, Father, I long to please you. Now, I don't think any of us continually have this. I think this is why we continually look at each other and remind each other of the forgiveness of God. To continue to cultivate and to work out our salvation. To remind ourselves, hey, I put $460,000 in your account. Start living like it. 1 John 4.16 says, So we have come to know and believe the love of God which he has for us. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Think of this through repentance. We may have confidence in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So again, I think one of the things that we really have to understand and spend some time thinking about is all of my sin ultimately is about and is against my God. And when I could recognize that, the one that I confess to, the one that I repent to, is God. And of course it's to each other as well. But first and foremost, I think it needs to be before God. I want to give you a few examples in Scripture. So this is Samuel. For the Lord will not abandon his people, he says, on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, Samuel says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. So Samuel is a prophet, and he knows he's to instruct these people, and he knows he's to pray for the people. And so he says, far be it from me that I may sin against you, Lord, and not pray for them. David, 2 Samuel 24.10. Now David's heart was troubled after he numbered his people. He was told not to. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly, simply acknowledging it. David again, Psalms 51.4. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And then I think one of the greatest examples of this is in Genesis 39.9. This is Joseph interacting with Potiphar's wife. So remember the story where Potiphar places uh, Joseph as basically head of his household. He has been very, he's, he's just granted Joseph with tremendous favor and recognized that God's favor is upon him. So he gives him authority of all of his things and he's living in his home. And Potiphar, his wife, comes on to Joseph and wants to sleep with him. And uh, here's, when she's approaching him, here's what Joseph says to her. There is no one greater than I in this house. And he, your husband, has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God, Joseph says. So one he has a, a respect for Potiphar and recognizing how betraying it would be for someone who has loved him and has given him so much to sleep with this man's wife. But more than that, 
how unfitting it would be to commit adultery against his God, his creator, his lover. Far be it from me that I would sleep with you and commit this evil sin against God. I believe true repentance will be cultivated more and more and more when we understand the fullness of our forgiveness, when we understand all sin is against God. And honestly, when this happens, you guys, think of, think of the relational aspects of true repentance. So if I don't have to hide from my sin anymore, how much easier is it to not get defensive when someone comes to me? So I'm approachable when there's issues in my life and I have people who say, hey, I have an issue with this. I don't have to be defensive anymore. I can listen, I can hear, I can learn. I can take that before God. How about this? How about just saying sorry to your husband or to your wife or to your son or to your daughter or to your friend or to your boss? Just the ability to say, I am sorry. Sometimes that's so difficult for us. And again, I believe it's that, if, if that's difficult, we have not understood that our sin is against God and we have not understood that it has been paid for. If it's hard for me to say I'm sorry to you, it's probably hard for me to say I'm sorry to God. I think this breeds humility. I think this breeds, it results in praise. Because now all of a sudden when I look at my sin, I don't exult in the sin itself, but I can worship God for being so gracious and so merciful. And you know when you get really excited about something, what do you do? You talk about it, right? Again, you've been around me, you're going to hear about motorcycles lately. It's just natural for us to verbalize this stuff. And so if I spend some time meditating on the cross, and if I spend some time meditating on God's grace in my life, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to verbalize it for him. I'm going to be a testimony to the world and to brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Humility is attractive. Humility is contagious. And so again, I think another recognition of this is just this is more of what we want, you guys. Lastly, I'm going to end with this. Again, our text is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. More time spent recognizing the exchange that took place of the, on the cross. More time for me to recognize that I should have been sent and condemned by God but I've been spared from that. That God is in heaven now storing up his wrath for one day to be poured out. And it will come, because he's just. And to understand that I will never taste that. Ever. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to pay it for me. And so I wonder as he was handed the cross to carry to Golgotha. <laughs> you wonder if he, if he saw the tree that he created that that was carved from. You wonder if he saw those nails being pierced in his hand and all the natural resources, the iron and the ore that he created that that was formed with. 
or the soldier that held that thing and the hammer and recognizing that this God-man who was giving himself up to die for you and me was the one who in that very moment sustained that soldier and who continued to give him breath and continued to allow his muscles to work, who continued to give him the strength to pound the nail into his hand. Where Jesus voluntarily did this for us. And then Jesus conquered sin and death on our behalf. So recognize the fullness of what he did in your life and celebrate it and walk in freedom and victory. And again, I don't believe that always means strutting around barrel-chested. I think more often than not, that means, God, I blew it again. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for conquering sin on my behalf. I blew it again. God, I praise you for how gracious you are. I hate that I continue to do this. Continue to cleanse and purge me from that. Somebody tells me I'm acting arrogant, I'm prideful, I'm selfish. Thank you for the recognition of that. I'm going to spend some time before my father. So all of a sudden, repentance isn't so terrible. Repentance we can usher in with joy and excitement because it brings about praise and glory to God for how gracious he is. Amen?